Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. My name is Patrick. I'm the host of the podcast, that is. Uh, thanks once again for listening to me and listening to the podcast. Got a website, mycheeseheadlife.com. Email the show. You can email me at info at mycheeseheadlife.com. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to skip the socials because I don't do a ton on that. And we got a lot to get to today. A little bit off schedule. Uh, so if you're looking for me earlier from, a you know, case of the Mondays, I had a pretty busy weekend and Packers having the Thursday game. Everybody's off schedule a little bit. You know, we got to be flexible. So coming at you here on a Tuesday uh, afternoon, just logged off the day job and scrambled, uh, scribbled some notes for items that we can talk about that I want to talk about. And um, I don't know, this Tuesday thing kind of feels nice. Maybe that'll be a little bit more normal going forward. You know, we got a Monday night game coming up for the Packers. So uh, we'll probably skip a uh, case of the Mondays and, and look at recapping things on Tuesday again next week. And then, of course, look forward to uh, getting another session in tomorrow on hump day. Um, so with all that, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the weekend here. It's Tuesday, but but we're still kind of coming out of the weekend. Not a lot going on in uh, Wisconsin football, that is. Again, Packers played on Thursday. Uh, needed a few days to get the taste the get that taste out of my mouth. Um, and then the Badgers, of course, are on bye this week. Um, so they, no Badger game to talk about and, uh, plenty of other things though to get to and just kind of nice to sit back. I thought, you know, without worrying about Badger games, Packer game was already on in the books and, uh, had a pretty busy, busy weekend for the Cheeseheads here, uh, over the course of the weekend that included four soccer games, uh, one football game, a lot of running around. I don't know. I'll ever get the leaves raked because uh, things are busy, but it's fun. It's fun. And uh, didn't quite get to take in all the soccer games out of four. I got to watch three. So that leads me into my, my PSA for today. Patrick service announcement is make sure to check the forecast uh, where you are going for the soccer tournament, not where you are at currently. So soccer tournament was about an hour away from, from the home base here and Gorgeous weather here this weekend, you know, really getting some extended summer in uh, northeast Wisconsin. Shoot, is like 80 de- degrees today. And on Saturday, Saturday morning, waking up, nice sunshine, warm out. I'm talking about sunscreen and bringing my floppy hat to the soccer fields. Uh, worried about all that sun I'm going to get and shorts and drive about an hour away uh, to uh, Stevens Point, Wisconsin for the tournament. And, and as we're approaching, about 20 minutes outside of, of the location, I noticed a lot of gray clouds and, and weather certainly was different in Stevens Point than in Appleton. So again, just a, a PSA, make sure to check that forecast for the destination because uh, apparently, uh, unbeknownst to myself, it was forecasted to be about 60, 65 scattered storms, a storm that never seemed to leave. Um bolts of lightning, thunder, rain, um, sitting in the car for a couple hours, what turned out to be, uh, all told about a three hour delay, which is partly why I was, was unable to watch both games that day in order to get back for the football game, um, that, that the other one was playing in. So that was interesting. Uh, but a couple shout outs, uh, came out as a result. One thing I enjoy about soccer tournaments are the concessions and food trucks, things like that. Um, so that was a little bit of a, frustration walking through there at 8 30 in the morning and I'm eyeballing you know what food trucks they have and, and trying to find the field we're going to and already kind of plotting my course on you know what type of food I might be having and what time well then the rain happens the storm happens the delays happen and all the food trucks kind of get closed up um, but luckily I'd asked someone here locally well they had asked you know what are you doing this week I said well soccer tournament in Stevens Point and uh, any recommendations, I said, because uh, I found out that that person at the store was from Stevens Point, and he had said, yeah, go to the Hilltop Pub and Grill. And luckily for us, that was uh, just a little ways uh, further down the highway, uh, right right at the intersection, I believe, of Highway 10, Highway 39. So pretty busy area if you're ever driving through Stevens Point. Uh, that's kind of a main intersection of highways. 
And uh, kudos to Hilltop Pub and Grill. It was a pretty good atmosphere, really good service. Uh, I'll have a link to their website in uh, my, my in my own website, I guess, um, in the cheese curd section. So that's the blog blog section of the website where I'll put up some links of uh, topics we go over today. So yeah, I just wanted to do what I can to lift up local businesses and, and people that do a nice job. They were pretty busy there at Hilltop Pub and Grill uh, because I believe there was also a home football game for the Stevens Point uh, University and a lot of sweatshirts that said Stevens Point in there and they were under a weather delay, I believe, as well due to the lightning and thunder happening. Um, and, and we had excellent service, good food. Everything came out pretty quickly. Waitress was super nice. Uh, it was recommended to have the chicken tenders. Uh, so I, I, of course, tried them and they were delicious. So good job, Hilltop Pub and Grill. Getting a little crazy there probably with more people than they expected. But they handled it really well. If you're in that area, I would check them out. And then, um, you know, as we talk on a Tuesday here, and I think about those concession stand trucks or the food trucks that I saw. So we go back on Sunday. And you know, weather couldn't be any more different. It's like 85 and hot, of course. So that was kind of what I was expecting Saturday. But Sunday came through with a nice day, head out the, that way again for a couple more soccer games and all the food trucks and everything are, you know, wide open for business. And, um, you know, here it is Tuesday. Many people refer to Taco Tuesday. So I thought it'd be appropriate to share my experience with a, with a food truck called Charlie's Tacos. And I guess they're out of Watoma which is kind of, you know, I'm not great at geography, but I'm pretty sure that's just about dead center. Watoma is just about like dead center of the state here. And, you know, I try to do some searching, find a website or something, but if you're into some good kind of authentic tacos, and I know there's lots of taco trucks, so I'm sure there's plenty of good ones, but I haven't hit many. And I'm, I may have gone back for seconds to Charlie's Tacos. So if you see this red truck driving around or if they're set up somewhere, Charlie's Tacos, and it's Charlie with a Y at the end. It was delicious. I may or may not have had two sets of three tacos, meaning six total, kind of like a lunch and then a, a second lunch, and it was fantastic. Some of the best tacos I've ever had, and even the steak, like they're steak tacos, and sometimes you can get some kind of gnarly steak pieces in those at any you know restaurant, and uh, I didn't really have any of that. Those were delicious. They were just pretty basic steak, cheese, cilantro, onion, uh, a couple of lime wedges come out with it, and then they had some good seasonings and sauces to put on them. So good job, Charlie's Tacos. Uh, you definitely got a few bucks from me and, and shared it with some people that were watching the games, and they went and got some. So that was really good. Hilltop Pub and Grill, if you're in Stevens Point area and looking for some food, and if you happen to see a Charlie's Tacos anywhere, uh, I would recommend paying them a visit if you're into tacos. So enough about the... Uh, Weekend happenings of the Cheeseheads here and chasing down soccer tournaments and bad weather and all that. I uh, got a lot of sports we want to get to. And uh, as I like to do, because I know you're wondering all weekend how I did on my NFL picks where I pick three games against the spread and try to keep track of points all year. So last week was kind of trending up. You know, weeks one and two, I was, well, one and two. I had I'd got one right and two wrong both, both first couple weeks of the year. Last week I went two and one, so I'm inching inching up the standings and then uh this most recent week i also went two and one so i had the vikings uh they they pulled out a kind of a closer than expected game against uh, carolina but they covered they went on the road to beat carolina uh, largely in help to their defense they're actually losing a good chunk of that game uh if you haven't seen the highlights this might be one to look for kirk cousins early in the game through like a 99 yard pick six and on the internet, there's a lot of highlight of um, or a lot of traction for the one highlight where Cousins and and kudos to Kirk Cousins. I mean, he he ran his you know what off trying to chase down that interception, but someone from Carolina and the joke is that they just eyeballed this guy you know from 30 yards away a chance to hit the quarterback, and you see some defensive back or whatever from Carolina just close the gap on the guy with the interception just so he could get a chance to shove Kirk Cousins. I mean, that's in, in football, that's always a thing. When you get an interception, there's usually someone looking to put a hit on the quarterback, you know, because now that quarterback is like a tackler. Um, so, yeah, this guy ran about 65 yards just to put a hit on uh, Kirk Cousins, and Cousins kind of goes flying, and then uh, Carolina goes on to get a pick six, get it in the end zone, but all for that. Uh, they ended up losing that game, the Panthers, that, that is. Um, and I think 
Minnesota had a defensive touchdown in the second half that kind of gave them the lead 14-13. I think they tacked on a second touchdown later on with uh, Justin Jefferson to get them out ahead of the spread there and cover. Uh, Chargers, uh, that one was a a little bit of an easier one because the spread I had in in the group was like five and a half, and then later in the week it came out that uh, Garoppolo wasn't going to play, so I took the Chargers to cover, and they did so. And then KC... I was really hoping to sit down on Sunday night and watch KC uh, take it to the Jets. And, oh, my God, it was like the Taylor Swift show again. There's there's a little bit of static on the Internet about how much emphasis NBC put on Taylor Swift and all that action compared to just covering a football game. Uh, but putting all that aside, Kansas City kind of squeaked one out against the Jets 23-20, so they didn't cover as like 9.5-point favorites. Uh, but still nice to see the Jets lose as it relates to helping the Packers get a higher draft pick next spring uh, that belongs to the, that was from the Jets. So the worse the Jets do, the better the Packers will do on that draft pick. And then I was skunked on DraftKings, you know, when the Packers are off and everything's kind of off schedule, it's hard for me to throw a lineup out there. So I, I did a couple quick lineups, but nothing good there on DraftKings. Uh, so, you know, that's the riveting recap of how I did on my picks this weekend. And, uh, you know, Skipping around a little bit, you know, we always talk a lot of football and Packers and Badgers, of course, but the biggest news right now is our uh, our Milwaukee Brewers. So let's start in with our Brewers check-in here today because today, and, you know, another nice feature of, you know, taking the day off of the podcast yesterday, letting some things simmer, is uh, now we found out over the weekend uh, that the Cubs did their part by losing a bunch and, and they got eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, playoffs and then now you've got Arizona coming to town to face Milwaukee and by the time you're listening to this the game might already be started or maybe if uh, maybe over uh, but they're playing at 6 p.m. tonight roughly an hour from now and that'll be on ESPN2 which is kind of nice because I was a little concerned and I believe it was last year the Bucks were on like Valley Sports you know some of those more regional networks that not every cable provider offers depending on those contract situations and uh, pleased to find out that the Brewers will be televised at 6 p.m. on ESPN2 against the Diamondbacks. All the games should be on ESPN2, so we should be able to watch all those uh, if you have kind of your basic cable package. And uh, right now, of course, the Brewers would be the favorite. They're the home team uh, going against this wild card team. It looks like Corbin Burns, one of the Brewers' better pitchers, will be going against Brandon Pfatt. I don't know. That's an interesting last name. P-F-A-A-D-T. So I don't know if he's just fat, but what you call that or how you pronounce it. But that's the pitching matchup. Uh, Corbin Burns against Brandon Pfatt. And uh, interesting to see how that goes. Uh, When I come back on hump day tomorrow, hopefully we're talking about a win for the Brewers. It's a best out of three. So they could hopefully uh, win the first couple games and get a little more of a rest. Uh, But otherwise it, it would be a potential three-game series if they split uh, the first two. So we'll keep an eye for sure on what's happening with the Brewers this week. And like I said, when we come back on hump day tomorrow, we'll know how they did uh, on tonight's game and and see what we're going to hopefully get these Brewers out of their their first playoff series with a win. That would be awesome. And I'm I'm not sure. I think the games might all be at 6 p.m. But yeah, uh, they play today, tomorrow, and then on Thursday if necessary. So that's your Brewer check-in. Um, you know, sorry to see the Cubs got eliminated. Sorry, not sorry. Um, but all good news coming out of baseball for us Brewer fans right now, except for one item. I shouldn't say all good news. Uh, one thing that kind of uh, bubbled up in terms of some bad news is Brandon Woodruff is hurt again. I don't know the details of that. Again, I'm not always able to follow the Brewers as closely as I'd like to, but I saw some headlines even actually during the weekend that, that, um, he was going to be out at, at least for this series. And I'm just seeing a headline here on ESPN that said, Woodruff's shoulder injury leaves Brewers down a starter against Diamondbacks. So the initial headlines I saw didn't really indicate what type of injury he had, and I didn't read into this to see you know what happened. So hopefully he can come back. At least they're saying it's up in the air as far as this little caption under uh, Craig Council's face here. Um so that's a bummer. If you recall a couple of years back, a few years back, I think it was Woodruff who had, you know, had a pretty significant shoulder injury just by diving back into a base when he was leading off or something like that. Or I forget if he was even running to first, uh, right on the brink of the playoffs. And he's one of their, one of their best pitchers. So that's a bummer. You know, those guys work so hard all year 
to get the results and, and to get this opportunity to play in the playoffs. Playoffs. And uh, so that's a bummer for Brandon Woodruff. I know he's a guy that's really been a good workhorse for that pitching staff when he's healthy. Uh, I'm sure they'll be missing him, and, and hopefully he, he finds a way back if they can win this series and, and continue to have a season going. So good job, Brewers. Looking forward to that game tonight, and I'll uh, hopefully be able to find some time to sit down and watch it. And though that'll kind of get us back into our normal football talk. And on our previous case of the Mondays, but now we're on like a Taco Tuesday, is, um, you know, still looking at some of the aftermath of week four before we start looking ahead tomorrow on hump day uh, to week five. So a few few things that I picked up over the internets here uh, while I was trying to, you know, it's hard for me to be honest that first day or two. I, I don't really, when the Packers look so ugly like they did against the Lions, home game loss, you know, if I'm being honest, I, I take like a couple day hiatus from football stuff. I'll still watch maybe some of the other NFL games and stuff. Um, but as far as like, you know, headlines and links and, and reading up on things, it, it really does take me a day or two to, to have a mindset. You know, it's not like I get all upset about these games. It, it, you know, it doesn't affect my day if the Packers win or lose. Um, you know, I've gotten better at that as a younger fella. I'd get a little more grumpy about Packer games, but it's still just that level of interest because, you know, there's not a lot of good news to read. So I guess that makes sense. The human nature of wanting to read things, you know, that are going to make you feel good compared to reading about how poorly the backers did against the lions. But anyways, here we are a few days removed from last Thursday's debacle where, you know, coach LaFleur said the Packers got manhandled and, and that was a pretty accurate description of the game. And, you know, we can take a little look back at some of the things and what they're working on and, and any updates as far as that goes. Um, but before I get to that, I, a couple, a couple of things that I found interesting um, and this was, I believe, on X, the website formerly known as Twitter. So I don't read up a ton of that stuff. I've said it a bunch. I'm not big on the socials. Do a little bit here and there and post here and there. But I mostly am an observer. So when I open up that that uh, website of X, it just I always think of it as like opening a, a crowd, uh, opening the door to a crowded room and just hearing like a low roar of people. You know, I'm in there for a few minutes and then eventually I, I reach my limit. On, on how much roar of people I can tolerate, and then I close that door. So I, I take small bites on these uh, on the social media and all the commentary that's out there. And honestly, I can't believe like just how harsh people can be. Um, keyboard warriors, I think, is a phrase that's out there where you know people just like to throw a lot of hate or criticisms at people online. And you know now with these social media accounts, you have a lot more almost direct access to athletes and celebrities if you want to call that too um where you can you know shoot them a message or or tweet at them whatever they call it and sometimes maybe they read them i guess and apparently Keyshawn nixon reads some of that stuff because um he had uh what i would say i guess you know the youngsters might say he clapped back at some of the fans and uh did kind of the normal thing that you see some of the athletes do where well you know you try and do it only you know 1600 guys can play in the NFL and you're not one of them, LOL. And, and kind of had that tone to his, his tweet or post, I guess they call them now since it's X and not Twitter. Um, so anyways, kind of two sides to this thing. Like I said, I can't really fathom or comprehend what compels people to be so angry online and then translate that into a comment. So I'm not permitting any of that or in favor of any of that. My hunch is that those are most likely the people that have have placed wagers on some of these games and have you know financial um, repercussions or whatever you want to say about that. Where you know maybe they lost a bundle of money. You know they they put juniors' college tuition on the line, thinking oh we're gonna beat the Lions. Who knows what prompts people to be so angry and then translate that into a message to a player. But at the same time, I don't think it's a great look for the players then to, you know, kind of get in the mud with the fans and say, well, you know, you guys all suck too. None of you could do my job. And there's only this many people in the world that can play in the NFL. And, you know, while a lot of that's true, um, I just don't think it's a great look when, when players do that. So down a notch or two for, for me and Keyshawn Nixon to see him getting salty with fans, you know, I, bottom line is, you know, you guys aren't really performing, so they're, you know, honestly, if I was the type that would try to put a, you know, a, a message on there, I'd be like, well, 
There might be a few people that are hanging around the local tavern that can get the ball out to the 20. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's not like he's having a tremendous year. Yeah, he was all pro last year, but we all know the NFL is, uh, and well, pro sports in general. What have you done for me lately? We're four games into a season, you know, darn near a quarter of the season, and Keyshawn Nixon hasn't really shown anything near the return abilities that he, he, he provided the team last year. So, again, you know, not a huge deal. Wanted to mention it, though, as I kind of caught my eye as I was browsing X the other day. I'm like, ooh, Keyshawn Nixon clapping back at the fans. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Maybe maybe he'll be eligible for a try award now. Um, you know, if you're not familiar with that, that try award is where someone... Totally redeem yourself! So I haven't had to do a couple of those, or I've only done a couple, and I haven't really had an example lately. So... So, you know, hey, good news, bad news. Good news is uh, maybe Keyshawn can pick up a try award from uh, my Cheesehead Life podcast. And, um, you know, the bad news is it's because he's doing kind of crummy right now in his return game. And not not a lot of great decision-making happening, bringing balls out from way back in the end zone and getting them maybe to the 20. Um, so we'll see. We'll keep an eye on what uh, Keyshawn Nixon can do. And then... Another guy I failed to mention last Friday when I had a What the Friday uh, episode uh, coming off that loss to the Lions is, um, and, and it's not just the Lions game. It's been a couple weeks. He's been on the back of my mind and I hadn't really thought to mention him is uh, I'm a little, I'm struggling with what value uh, Josiah Degara provides to the team. So now he's like, I don't know if it's a little bit of a, Question mark, is he a fullback? Is he a tight end? Either way, you know, really his role is primarily as a blocker. Third round pick a few years back. His rookie year was lost pretty much to injury. Um, you know, he had a decent year, uh, I think it was two years ago. Caught a few passes, but never like, I don't think big play in Josiah Degara would ever be, you know, put into the same sentence so far in his career. So what I've been noticing, just kind of anecdotally, you know, a guy that doesn't get a lot of throws his way and, and, and he's not officially a lineman, so there's not as much attention probably on his scoring of his plays and all that, at least as far as the average fans go. But it, I don't know about you, but it just seems like a lot of times when, when A.J. Dillon's getting tripped up right away or, you know, that jet sweep gets buried in the backfield or, um, you know, they're trying to run their option and, and Jordan Love just gets... I, I, it seems like a lot of times I see... The guy who just flew by Josiah Degara is the guy making the play. So I don't know. That's another guy I'm kind of struggling with right now. You know, four games into this year, Packers need every every bit of veteran help they, they could have on the offense. And what is Josiah Degara really providing them? You know, I know he's probably doing some decent blocks here and there, but again, when it seems like a play's getting blown up, um, it seems like a lot of times I look and I see, I believe his number is 81 and, and 81 is somewhere like kind of chasing that guy who just made the tackle, meaning he missed his block. So that's another guy to keep an eye on. Maybe if he can make a few plays, he could be eligible for a try award. We'll see. And again, that try award is where you totally redeem yourself. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm just such a goofball with that old movie, Dumb and Dumber. I could, I could play that all day by myself and probably just be satisfied. Um, so yeah, we'll keep an eye on Keyshawn Nixon and Josiah DeGuara as candidates for the uh, Cheesehead Life Tri Awards. Um, some other news and headlines coming out of the, the loss to the Lions is apparently they're taking a good long look at the running defense, which has been awful, awful, awful for years, and, and especially so far this year. Um, so it's been interesting in the immediate aftermath of the game, of course, you know, uh, Coach LaFleur says, yeah, we got to look at that. We're going to look at all the things and, you know, take a good hard look. And then, you know, so they take the weekend to look at that stuff and they come back. And I don't know if I specifically have this in any of the links that I'm looking at, but I did, you know, just kind of overhear some of the talk from uh, Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, who is a candidate fired just about every game, uh, according to the fans. Um, and so, you know, you What's frustrating as a Packer fan, let's just start here, is does this feel a little bit like a Groundhog Day deja vu thing three, four weeks into the season? Why is the defense struggling? Okay, we're going to look at everything and, you know, we have to start doing things differently. Well, I don't, why, what is going on in training camp? What is going on in the preseason? Aren't you, I mean, I would say to, to most of us average Packer fans, that defense looks a 
very, very similar in approach and scheme to what they did last year that drove everybody nuts. And then it wasn't until like week eight or nine and they're like, well, yeah, let's maybe we should probably be a little more aggressive. And then, wow, wow, what, what do you know? The defense really started to trend in a better direction the remainder of the season. Not that they were lights out by any means, but certainly an improvement. So that's where it gets frustrating when these coaches seem to always kind of, I don't know, they're a little bit condescending. That means they talk down to people. <laughs> and I'm sorry, that's a little phrase t-shirt thing that I, I have. It's funny. Anyways, it just seems like they're they're a bit condescending with fans. When And, and I think Packer fans are generally more knowledgeable and, and very, very good at observing deficiencies in your team, maybe compared to your average fan base. And uh, so they're, oh, yeah, you guys don't understand what all goes into it. Like Keyshawn Nixon, you know, only so many people can carry a football, you know, just like only so many coaches can truly understand the, the complicated science that goes into tackling a ball carrier. So anyways, uh, <laughs> I keep saying anyways, I'm trying not to. Um, Joe Barry came out and said he didn't really see a lot of issues with the scheme. And I believe that was yesterday. I think yesterday is when they came out and had some of their press conference stuff. And I almost just like fell out of my chair because like, I, I don't know. I thought one of the jokes I like to say or, or phrase I like to use is, you know, the first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. And here we have Joe Barry not really admitting that there's a problem. Like, yeah, we know the stats are bad, but, you know, he kind of basically to paraphrase, he kind of said, you know, I think schematically we're there. You know, we're just not making the tackles or executing. And I'm sure that's true, too. You know, I think somewhere in one of these links I have, you're going to find uh, the number of, like, missed tackles. Uh, I, I swear the Packers are just about uh, leading the league in missed tackles, it seems. Um, so, you know, certainly, certainly, um, that that's part of it. You know, players have to execute. Players definitely have to execute. But it's the coaches, you know, there was always that phrase of it's the coach's job to, you know, put players in position to succeed. And, you know, when you've got defenders six, seven, eight yards off the ball, you know, and, and, and we see this all the time with the Packers, is that really putting some of these guys in a position to succeed? Um, so that, that to me has been kind of, you know, frustrating, disappointing, all those things. When they come out of these, you know, weekend of, you know, looking under the hood and checking out everything and LaFleur says, yeah, we got to do something different because this clearly isn't working. And then your, your D coordinator, who doesn't really have a great track record at anything uh, coaching wise in the NFL, comes out and says, yeah, I think, you know, it's pretty much there. We just, you know, got to execute. So we'll, we'll see what happens against uh, Las Vegas Raiders coming up next Monday because this isn't a real top-notch team that they're facing, but they're on the road and they have a good running back, uh, Josh Jacobs. So this will be a good test to see if they've made any tweaks or, or, or things differently uh, in the aftermath of the, the loss to the Lions. And so that's just something that's a little bit concerning is, you know, it'd be nice if Coach came out and said, yeah, you know, I don't want to give it away, but, but we got a few tricks up our sleeve. We're going to try a few new wrinkles. Um, but not really. Uh, Joe Barry basically kind of said, uh, looks good to me. And, and maybe he's snowballing us or maybe he's, you know, sandbagging, whatever term you want to use. And, and maybe they'll have a whole bunch of new wrinkles coming out for uh, Monday night there against, uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, but that's, that's again, just something that <laughs> just, again, feels kind of like groundhog day deja vu where you, you got this coach that tells you, I think we're going to be okay. We just have to tweak this and that. And meanwhile, the fans are just like, you know, are you kidding me? Are you watching the same stuff we're watching? Uh, so definitely got to keep an eye on how the Packers run defense responds uh, on, on Monday night coming up against the Las Vegas Raiders less than a week now. And then uh, speaking on defense, uh, a couple other notes is uh, apparently there was a, a Eric Stokes sighting, former first round pick that, you know, looked like he was off to a promising start. And then uh, it says, yeah, he was a 2021 first round pick. Then about midway through last year, he had a, a pretty severe foot injury that required surgery. And then uh, he missed the remainder of the season. And then it was kind of iffy, you know, when, when he'd come back. It's always that question mark when a guy's hurt mid-year and it's a long recovery. Uh, when are you going to get him back? So 
And his being a little unique, I don't know exactly what happened, you know, foot type injury and, and a surgery, not just something where they're, all, you know, the ones that you kind of see or hear more is the torn ACL and you kind of expect that to be a year. Um, it says Stokes, who played in eight games last year, needed surgery to repair the foot injury. In total, he missed around 11 months of playing time. So he was on the physically unable to perform list starting the year, and that's pretty common for guys that are still dealing with an injury from last year. Gives gives the team a little more roster flexibility early in the season for those types of situations. And so now I guess he's been activated off the PUP, physically unable perform list, and that gives him a few more weeks yet to allow him to practice and maybe get you know some of his uh, stamina built up and back into game shape. And hopefully, I don't know, it would seem unlikely that he would be ready for the Raider game, uh, but maybe. And and the reason I say maybe is uh, I found this kind of interesting when I was pulling up some information on, on Stokes. Guess what else he had? You'll never guess. He had hamstring injuries in training camp, which is why... You know, I think it was a little bit of a of a mystery. You know, there wasn't a lot of talk about Stokes when he'll be back, and you know, just it was just kind of all quiet on the Stokes front. And then now, you know, just today, this I see a write up from a guy I read a lot, Zach Cruz for Packers Wire, um, and he said uh, recovering from knee and foot injuries wasn't the only hurdle for Green Bay cornerback Eric Stokes. Um, he he had. Um, Stokes, who practiced Tuesday for the first time since the injuries, said he tweaked his hamstring on the same side a few times during training camp, delaying his return to the field. So that's interesting because it says here like he was actually able to run and, and do some things early on in camp, so it was really more like the hamstring that seems to have kept him out. So I don't know. I mean, it's not just the Packers. I, I get that, but Watson, hamstring, Aaron Jones, hamstring. Eric Stokes, hamstring. I, I just, I wish I knew what what could be done to prevent these types of injuries. Um, but yeah, it goes on to say here, he's been running full speed since the start of training camp, and he's not worried about his speed after that injury and all that surgery. Um, but yeah, interesting little sidebar there to the Stokes situation. I mean, everything I've heard to this point is just waiting for him to come back from that foot injury. And then now uh, seeing him at practice today, and I guess he was able to talk to some of the media then, and we find out he had some hamstring issues. Um, so uh, all that aside, hopefully, like I said, maybe it seems unlikely he'd be ready for these uh, Raiders. And then there's the bye week, and then they play at Denver. Um, so, so maybe they're targeting a return. Uh, that looks to be like October 22nd when they play Denver. They'd be giving them another almost three full weeks uh, to, to build up that, that game game stamina that he might need. So, you know, good to see Oaks, Oaks Stokes coming back. Uh, a little, little concerned on the hammy stuff when, when that's been almost like an epidemic for the Packers. And, and hopefully he's free and clear of any more hamstring injuries. Um, so there's that. Um, what else do we got? We got uh, oh, some other uh, cheese curds in this article that I stumbled across here too. Um, this is a pretty good one. That, again, still the aftermath. On what the Friday. So in this article from uh, SI Fan Nation, uh, Green Bay Packers overreactions following a 2-2 two and two start. Um, so this uh, right up here from Bill Huber, longtime Packer guy, uh, Packer media guy, covers the team. And uh, he said, after a hot start to the season, Jordan Love is now 17th in passer rating. And then um, we're 19th in yards per play on offense, 13th in yards per play on defense. And um, the offense has been too aggressive. So anyways, this is what I want to get to. Uh, a little bit on what the Friday I talked about, like where's all the easy get my quarterback in rhythm throws. And coincidentally, uh, Mr. Bill Huber here, thankfully kind of supports my, my hunch because I don't do all the analytical research. I'm just here to read the, the work other people do. Um, so he, he goes on to say here, over the last three weeks, the Packers have run the ball just 34.5% of the time. That's the fourth lowest rate in the NFL. In back-to-back -back home games, that was down to 30.7%. So 
again, the, the young quarterback, you know, want to get him settled, and we're just not even really trying to run the ball. He, he basically says Green Bay has been too aggressive on offense given its shortcomings, and I agree. I agree. I mean, we, we've seen almost every week some goofy gadget plays early in the game, uh, a lot of passing, not just, you know, settling in with the run game, but this is the part that kind of caught my eye or, you know, mostly caught my eyes because I was saying, oh, what the Friday? Why not? Why aren't we seeing just some short get them in rhythm throws like we always saw with, you know, a young Aaron Rodgers and a, and a young Brett Favre, the court, the coaches or the play callers at those times would talk about, you know, trying to get the quarterback in rhythm, get them some easy throws or, or some successful plays. So it goes on to say here, loves 10.3 air yards per attempt so basically they're tracking how far he's throwing the ball in the air every time so and then they you know chart that and average it whatever so loves 10.3 air yards per attempt is the highest in the nfl by more than half a yard uh, bill goes on to say midway through training camp love bringing back the check down was a story Please, you know, like begging the Packers to bring back the check down. And check this out. He says, Green Bay's running backs have been targeted 17 times in four games. Only two teams' backs have been less involved in the passing game. And then it says, uh, of 34 qualifying passers, so you figure 32 teams and there's been enough injuries that 34 guys have thrown enough passes Love is 28th in percentage of passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage and 29th in passes thrown 0 to 9 yards downfield. So basically, he's not throwing like screens behind the line or, you know, anything that might be like those bubble screens that are behind the line of scrimmage. He's 28th in percentage of passes thrown behind the line, 29th in in the short throws, 0 to 9 yards. But He's in the top five in percentage of passes, passes 10 to 19 yards downfield and 20 plus yards downfield. So they're taking their shots. All these uh, young pass catchers and a quarterback learning his first year starting and, and Coach LaFleur is, is having him chuck it down the field. I, I don't know. I guess that, you know, I think a lot of us thought in years past that was a Rodgers thing. You know, always taking those deep throws on a third and three or whatever. And, and maybe it's LaFleur. I mean, this was supposed to be the, well, we'll finally get to see LaFleur's offense uh, because, you know, Jordan Love may be less prone to check out of plays or change plays that, that the coaches call compared to a four-time MVP like Rodgers. And, and it seems very, very similar. So we'll see. Uh, and kind of like I've been saying, Bill Huber says the same thing. Uh, Love needs some easy completions, not to boost his completion percentage or to give him some conf- or to give him some confidence but to give them some easy yards so it's easier to move the chains. I mean, really, that's football 101. Uh, so his, his other overreaction is new mentality needed on defense, and this kind of comes out of the idea that, you know, they're saying the scheme is okay, they got all these good players, and, um, and, and they just weren't, you know, they're just not getting it done. Um, and, and Bill is kind of just saying that it's attitude. And an interesting kind of write-up here at the end of this section of his reactions, he says, Ron Wolf signed Reggie White, Ted Thompson signed Charles Woodson, Gudikins needs to make that kind of move this offseason. Not necessarily the Hall of Fame talent, but the heart and passion and desire and charismatic leadership. To me, that's the key there, leadership. And Lafleur needs to find a defensive coordinator that is less about scheme du jour and more about instilling a butt-kicking mentality. So I'd, I I agree with all that. I mean, I think a lot of that defensive stuff is 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 philosophy, you know. And they talk so much about X's and O's and execution. Well, where's the guy that you know, I'll never forget? And I forget who said this. Well, kind of contradicting myself there, but I forget who said it. But I remember what they said was, "You didn't want to be the guy that let down Reggie White," and that that always stuck with me because. Really, since Reggie White, you know, we've only had a couple guys like a Charles Woodson, maybe a Clay Matthews, where, you know, who's leading that defense? You know, so besides the scheme and Joe Barry and, you know, every guy, I thought it'd be A.J. Hawk, but he turned into kind of just a, a middling linebacker that wasn't really a leader of the team. And at the time, they had Rodgers and stuff, so he's the big face of the franchise. But, you know, who's that leader on the defense? You know, maybe Lucas Van Ness in a couple of years, but they don't really let him play a lot right now. But, you know, maybe he's a guy that could be the face of the defense. Uh, 
Quay Walker, you know, is putting up tons of numbers, but he's only a second year guy that's prone to, you know, have like one bonehead play a game. So is he a great leader example? I don't know. I mean, who does it come from? But it's definitely needed. And I don't know if there's one person on the roster, you know, that you could look at and say, yeah, that's the guy, you know, maybe Rashawn Gary. I mean, it seems like the players respect the heck out of him. But again, you know, as we talked on what the Friday, he's only a part-time player right now. So it's hard to be a leader when the coach has you on the bench for, you know, roughly 80% of the game. Um, so that, that to me is something that, again, besides X's and O's and number one draft picks, you know, who's telling them to run through a wall? Because I don't know. I mean, Joe Barry, Matt LaFleur are, are just, you know, pretty caught up in just the X's and O's. And they don't seem, at least for me as a casual observer, I don't see a lot of fire coming out of those guys on game days when, when you'd like to see coaches getting guys riled up. But who knows? Anyways, Bill Huber, and I, I got to admit, I went from being a real big homer thinking the Packers would win maybe 10 or so games, and now the reality of seeing how they're looking on the field so similar to last year at times. Uh, he's saying, Bill is saying here 7-10, and 10, and uh, that was his uh, preseason predi- prediction, um, and he's sticking with that. And I got to admit, I'm starting to get there now too. I thought maybe they'd be a, a, a fringe playoff team, maybe even competing for the division, but I don't think they're there yet. Bakhtiari's out, and what we've seen out of that defense I uh, just don't have the faith in it. So hopefully I'm wrong on that. Um, oh, yeah, here, here's here's that nugget I wanted to find, that cheese curd about the missed tackles. Um, <clears throat> there's something wrong with a team that has forced 17 missed tackles. Love has a team high four. So let's say 13 missed tackles by someone named other than Jordan Love while missing 33. So while the Packers have had the ball and their limited run game and whatever else, they've forced 17 missed tackles, and the opponents going against the Packers have uh, forced 33 missed tackles in four games. I mean, shoot, I'm not really great at math, but that's like at least three, four missed tackles a game, right? Four into 30. Never mind. Um so, yeah, I mean, again, like I kind of said, and Bill kind of goes on to say this here in his article, you know, maybe some of these things are, you know, why Rodgers was frustrated or wanting to leave. And and I know, like I've said, they're kind of ripping off the Band-Aid this year and, and not having a lot of flexibility on who they can sign cap space and all that stuff with all the dead money from some of the some of the things they've done in the past. Um, but now, you know, as Bill kind of says here, you know, hopefully maybe we'll get more assets with a high second round pick from the Jets next year. Um, but yeah, good rundown there. That link will be in the in the Cheese Curds blog, along with uh, some other analysis of the run defense that I stumbled on here. And then now shifting gears a little bit to the offense, this one I kind of I enjoyed reading. Uh, this Wisconsin Sweet had a few inter- interesting nuggets here because um, Aaron Jones, uh, one of my all-time favorite Packers and a guy that's you know tremendously underutilized his whole career, in my opinion. Well, he made this headline says Aaron Jones makes massive announcement for Las Vegas Raiders matchup. So, you know, love those headlines. I always trying to get the clicks and, and it worked. Of course, I clicked on it, um, but massive announcement to me was kind of interesting. So I wanted to see. All right. Well, what- for sure the same for Christian Watson I, I haven't gotten a massive announcement from Christian Watson on that um, but that's great news uh, it goes on to say here he expects to be 100% healthy by the time Monday Night Football kicks off and here's his quote I feel like I'll be able to go out there against Vegas on Monday night and be 100% Jones told reporters um, and then what I found more interesting about this write-up and, and what brought me to bring it to the podcast today is some of the stats that, that he had in here about how the Packers are doing with Jones. And so it says here, in 2022, the Packers were 5-1 and one when Aaron Jones handed, I'm sorry, when Aaron Rodgers handed the ball to Jones 14 or more times. So that's not even like passes or anything. It just says when Aaron Rodgers handed the ball to Jones 14 or more times, they're 5-1. and one with the one loss was at Buffalo on Sunday night. So, I mean, really tough matchup. You know, they, they actually made that a decent game more than people expected. So they were five and one last year. And then it goes on over the years. Now listen to this over the years, the Packers have been 34 and four overall 
when Jones gets 15 or more touches. He has been extremely important to the Packers' offense, says Captain Obvious at the end of this write-up. So anyways, um, yeah, I mean, the numbers back it up. You know, the fans scream about it. The coaches tell us we don't know what we're talking about and we can't play in the league, but the numbers seem to support the notion And if you give Aaron Jones the ball more, your likelihood of winning goes up. So, again, I understand I'm not the uh, genius that some of these NFL coaches must be to dissect how to get a football into an end zone, but I think those are great, you know, figures. I love those kind of numbers when they, when they can kind of put them together at, you know, and I know you can kind of slice and dice some of that stats any way you want. Um, but, yeah, hopefully, hopefully against Las Vegas uh, next Monday, we'll see a much heavier dose. And keep an eye on that, that number of 14 or 15 touches because uh, clearly according to this write-up if, if Aaron Jones is in the 14 15 touches range and, and above that uh, the chances of the Packers winning uh, will go up significantly um, so there's that excited to see if we can get to see more Aaron Jones on Monday night against uh, uh, Las Vegas And like they're saying, with 17 games, the doggone thing, one thing I didn't like about the 17-game schedule is it, you know, it turns all these stats into, like, difficult to project. And even, you can't even say it's the official quarter point of the season. You know, it used to be like, oh, 16 games, four games in, take the stats times four, blah, blah, blah. But either way, we're roughly at, you know, the generally accepted quarter point of the season, one-fourth of the way done. I thought it'd be uh, worthwhile to maybe check out some of the overall team stats uh, for the Packers as as they're getting into that Vegas game next week. So passing yards, we are 18th at 225 per game. Rushing yards, we are 30th at 74.5 rushing yards per game. And total yards per game in the Matt LaFleur offense uh, minus Aaron Rodgers, four games into it. We are 28th in total yards. And uh, I mean, those are numbers, of course. Again, Captain Obvious. So if you're getting short fields and winning, you know, who cares how many yards you're putting up? But these are indicators of, you know, success or lack of. Um, so a couple other items down here. Points scored. We're doing okay there. We're 10th at 25 points a game. And, you know, I've kind of been saying this whole time, the over-under on points per game in the NFL to me is about 20. If you're above 20, you probably have a good chance of winning games. And conversely, if your defense is holding them under 20, you know, that's generally considered successful. So points per game. We'll stick with the offense for now. We're at 10th. We're 10th with 25 points per game. Again, yards per game, 28th. Passing yards, 18. Rusting, 30. Uh, time of possession, a bit of a concern. So you got to keep this in mind when, when you're analyzing the defense and their success or lack of we're 29th in time of possession at 26.54 uh, per game. So tw just under 27 minutes a game. Again, it's kind of a, a cart and horse thing, you know, is the time of possession, the defense not being able to get off the field or is it the offense that can't get first downs? I mean, right now, based on what we've all seen, I got to say, this is largely on the offense, not being able to convert and stay on the field. You know, they've had a couple stretches here and there where they're they're looking effective, but by and large, uh, that offense has really had trouble sustaining drives. So on the defensive side, like I said, we're, we're, we're looking if we're over under 20 points per game, we're at 24, which is 20th in the league. And, and as Packer fans, I think for years, we've all just said, let's try to get to top 10. You know, points per game is really the biggest barometer. You know, if they're scoring, you're not winning. And um, it, to be 20th is not going to do it. I think I think the, the top 10 thing comes from when Rodgers won the Super Bowl. That was maybe one of the last times we had a top 10 defense. And usually that's, you know, depending on what set of stats you're looking at when they say top 10, some people might be citing the points per game. Otherwise, they might be citing the yards per game and, and kind of more the official statistical rankings. So anyways, we're 20th. Uh, with 24 points a game allowed and whether you're looking at defense or points doesn't matter I mean yards or points because we're 21st in yards against at 352 yards against per game uh, passing yards is decent but that's maybe a reflection of how weak we've been against the run why why pass it if you can hand it off and be effective so anyways we're 11th in passing yards at 197 allowed per game 30th in rushing against per game at 150 <sighs> 
155 yards per game, 30th. That's, I can't believe there's two teams worse than us. That's amazing. Uh, sacks, we're 16th. We've got 11 sacks, so kind of middle of the pack there, and, and we're 12th in interceptions with three. So nothing terribly remarkable on either side of the ball. Congratulations, Packers. Um, and then, you know, I did want to lift up one one individual that I really haven't talked anything about all these podcasts besides a little bit on his background in the preseason. But, you know, hey, good job, punter, Daniel Whelan. That's where we're at in this season so far, <laughs> highlighting the punter. Um, but really quietly, you know, the Packers went with a total unproven guy. I think he played uh, XFL maybe, or I forget what leagues are all active right now. Um, He's originally from Ireland, and if you if you want an interesting uh, audio, try to find some audio of Daniel Whelan. He does not sound like he's from Ireland at all. I guess I talked earlier in a, in a show that he moved here when he was like 13. So he moved here pretty, relatively young, but you'd think there'd maybe be a hint of that accent. But then they moved to California, and when you listen to Daniel Whelan talk, he sounds 100% like a kid from California. So that's, you know, interesting because they all say, oh, you know, we got an Irish punter. And then you hear him talk and he kind of sounds like someone who could grab a surfboard at any minute. Um, so through four games, he's got 18 punts, 860 yards, good for a 47.8 average, three inside the 20. So I'm not real sure if that's, you know, a good percentage out of those 18 or not and three touchbacks and a long of 68. I don't know. I'd just say, you know, quietly doing a nice job it, it, when you watch some of these teams and, and when you play complimentary football, it's nice to have a punter that can sometimes flip the field. Uh, so, so far, so good. I'd say on, on this whole new operation with the kicking unit, I've talked a few times, Anders Carlson doing nicely. He hasn't, uh, I won't say it. He He's made his kicks. Um, and then, uh, the punter, Daniel Whelan doing, doing a solid job. So at least, you know, a couple, couple guys are doing okay when, when we had some question marks on that going into the season. Boy, and time sure flies here. Here I was on Taco Tuesday thinking I wouldn't have anything to talk about and we're already 50 minutes into this thing and I haven't even done, you know, some other items here, but that's pretty much going to put a cap on the Packers aftermath against, uh, that Lions game and some of the analysis coming out of that. Again, hopefully Aaron Jones is going to be ready to roll. Maybe Christian Watson, that defense might have a little different scheme. We'll see unless Joe Barry says, ah, it's all good. We're fine. Um, Seems like that's going to be Joe Barry's approach. Um, So uh, let's take a little look around the league. I just, you know, try to again to recap a bit of what's happening on on week four. And with all the soccer and football, I didn't really sit down and watch much on Sunday. So it was kind of nice to take um, Monday off and watch Monday Night Football and get kind of geared up for a Tuesday podcast. Um, but yeah, you know, one thing that's interesting, those Atlanta Falcons that made it look pretty easy at times running the ball against the Packers. Um, well, they got beat in London, and I think that London thing might have something to do with just having the one Monday night game. Um, now that these uh, international games or whatever they call it, the international series has started. So Jacksonville handled Atlanta pretty well, um, 23 um, to 7. So after, you know, Atlanta wins a couple games, beats the Packers, you know, maybe they're decent. Turns out maybe not so much. Um, now, now they did a little better job rushing. Uh, Bijan Robinson had, you know, 100 yards again, and Ritter, you know, he, he got picked off a couple times. So you know, it's anyways, I mentioned that because it's just interesting to see, you know, when you watch the Packers and you're like, oh, well, maybe Atlanta's decent, you know, and then Atlanta goes on to get beat by Detroit. They get beat by Jacksonville. Um, so it kind of can give you a little sense of maybe where the Packers are at when you see how some of them teams do against each other. Um, some other things that happen, boy, those Bears, you know, we talked a little bit about Minnesota already, our friends to the West. So uh, Minnesota gets their first win on the road at Carolina, beating uh Carolina. <laughs> Whoops. And um, those Bears, the Bears. So that was one I touched on last week on what the Friday, I think it was. It might have been Hump Day. That Denver coming off a game where they got beat 70 to 20, they were favored going into Chicago. And so a lot of people, I mean, I wasn't the only one that said that. I heard some of the local radio guys talk about that. Like, oh my God, they're favored. And well, I guess Vegas was correct. If you didn't see it, the Bears at one point were up, the Bears were up 28-7 to on the Denver Broncos and somehow, in in a way only the Bears can do, managed to lose that game. Uh, I didn't watch all of it, but some of the takeaways I saw on the internets was that apparently 
tie game fourth quarter. The Bears are in in field goal range on like a fourth and one, and their coach decided to go for it. And that's the trendy thing to do nowadays, right? Is always be going for it. And so he he declined to take it. And I thought maybe it was like a 36, you know, not a gimme, but a, a relatively, you know, you'd expect your kicker to make it field goal. And he he passed on that. They got stuffed on fourth down. Denver goes down, kicks the game. Well, it's turned out to be the game-winning field goal to put him up 31-28. And then Justin Fields, uh, the quarterback who has struggled mightily all year, but actually had a pretty nice game statistically against Denver. So hopefully that bodes well for the Packers in a couple weeks. Denver's defense must be real awful, I guess. Well, they gave up 70 uh, to Miami and 28 to the Bears. And uh, yeah, so they the Bears got beat. Um, Bears are still sitting winless. Um, some other noteworthy items. Uh, Cincinnati lost again. So Cincinnati may be dealing with Super Bowl hangover stuff. They're sitting at 1-3. and three. They got beat by... Uh, Tennessee, 27 to three and Tennessee hasn't looked super impressive. So interesting to see what's going on with Joe Burrow there and the Cincinnati Bengals, Houston with their rookie quarterback, 30 to six over Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh was a favorite there. Uh, so, you know, maybe CJ Stroud, new coach, a really big overhaul in Houston. There seems to be going pretty well. Uh, let's see Houston sitting at two and two. I uh, mentioned the Chargers beat Las Vegas. Vegas was out there starting quarterback. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back if um, Jimmy Garoppolo will be available against the Packers. Of course, Devontae Adams there, Josh Jacobs. Uh, but they got beat 24-17 uh, at home. Not not at home. They're technically on the road, I guess, against the Chargers. Uh, Chargers 2-2, two and two, Vegas 1-3. and three. Uh, Cowboys put a beat down, so they bounced back after losing to Arizona. Uh, they put a beat down on New England, 38-3. to I guess that was, uh, I saw a headline, Bill Belichick's most lopsided loss. So uh, kind of a big deal there for Dallas. They, they seem to be back in shape. Uh, San Francisco, uh, the other, one of the few undefeated teams. There's only two. So there's two undefeated teams. Philadelphia uh, beat the Commanders, 34-13. Uh, San Francisco beat Arizona, 35-16. Those are your two undefeated. And coincidentally, the only winless teams are also in the NFC. And that would be uh, your Chicago Bears at 0-4. And, and then uh, Carolina Panthers at 0-4. So you feast your famine a little bit in the NFC with the two undefeated teams and the two winless teams yet. Uh, but as I kind of scan around here, nothing else too really noteworthy. Baltimore beat up on Cleveland. Buffalo took those uh, high-scoring Dolphins and, and put them in their place. Buffalo beat them 48-20, but that was in Buffalo. Uh, so it's always a little interesting to see. You know, one week teams are flying high, and the next week they're down. Uh, Tampa Bay with Baker Mayfield, uh, kind of the you know wild card there. Not sure how they're going to do. They they beat New Orleans 26-9, so New Orleans team that gave the Packers a lot of trouble. Uh, Tampa Bay didn't have much trouble on the road at New Orleans. Of course, he had uh, their quarterback, uh, is it Carr, coming off a shoulder injury, so maybe he was a little bit limited. I guess he played, but not very well. Uh, so Tampa Bay sitting at three and one, top of the NFC South. Detroit three and one is top of the North. Philly four and zero, and then San Francisco four and zero is kind of how the standings are looking so far in the NFC. And then uh, you know one phrase I've become more and more and more comfortable using is like the misery loves company, and I guess that to me applies to football. It's kind of sometimes after the Packers have a rough one, it's kind of nice to see maybe if some other team has a rough one. Uh, with that, I was able, without podcasting last night or doing an episode, I, I sat back and watched some of that Seattle Giants game. So keep in mind, Giants playoff team from last year playoffs and uh, do not seem to resemble a playoff team at all this year. Of course, they have an injury with Saquon Barkley. Probably their best player was out. Um, but, you know, Dan, uh, their quarterback, Danny Jones, really looked bad. I, I mean, we can at least take comfort in knowing Jordan Love is at least not the worst quarterback in the league. And I don't mean that to, you know, Jordan Love, I think has a real bright future. I like what I've seen from him so far. He's got to get a little more. Um, I think he's getting a little sloppy in his mechanics at times, you know, trying to, you know, do a little too much Rogers type flicks of the wrist. But anyways, uh, Seattle all over the giants, 24 to three and, and Seattle at times didn't even play that well, but the giants, their line could not handle Seattle at all. I think they finished with 11 sacks. So New York, a team that was in the playoffs last year, probably won't be looking at the playoffs this year. They're off to a 1-3 and three start. 
Um, so it takes, you know, after after the, the sting of the Packer game wears off and you look around the league, especially in the NFC, yeah, there's those couple undefeated teams. But after that, I think it's pretty wide open. Not saying the Packers are playoff material, but I think, you know, if you just think of it, you know, have a good year this year, solid year of growth going into next year. I think, you know, they're set up nicely. I, I'm not, I'm sorry to be talking about next year already here going into week five, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying, at least we're not the New York Giants. They just gave their quarterback, Danny Jones, a bunch of money after, you know, a decent season where they made the playoffs, but he, it was mostly due to his, his running of the ball. And, uh, you know, they, they looked brutal. Oh my God. The Giants looked brutal. Uh, so see Seattle again, 24 to three on Monday night football over the Giants. So just a couple more things here. We'll wrap it up. We'll do a check in here just to save us time on home day tomorrow on the power rankings, uh, in the NFL. So not much changing. Again, we're sticking with USA today guy that does these, uh, Nate Davis. He's got 49ers at the top. He moved the bills up from five to two. So I think some of this is intended to evoke uh, reaction. Uh, because now the Eagles, you know, they're the other undefeated team. He drops them from two to three. Uh, Cowboys at four, up from nine. Lions pretty steady, go from six to five. So, uh, yeah, they scored at least 20 points in 13 straight games. That should only get easier to sustain now that Jamison Williams has been reinstated. Um, so Chiefs are at six. Dolphins, seven, uh, down from three. Ravens, eight. Rams at nine, they're moving up when a lot of people didn't think much of the Rams. And by a lot of people, I guess, I mean me, uh, Seahawks 13 up. I'm sorry. Seahawks are at 10 up from 13 Texans, big jump from, uh, 28. They're now 11. So that'll be interesting to see how the Texans do a lot of times, you know, teams that start well, don't finish well. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. We'll keep an eye on those Texans and their young staff and quarterback Steelers drop a bit uh, by losing to those Texans from the Steelers go from seven to 12. Uh, let's see. We'll kind of skip ahead here. A lot of teams in the middle that aren't terribly relevant right now for us. Uh, Packers go from 15 to 19 in this guy's power rankings. He says only two teams are worse running the ball. Only two teams are worse stopping the run. That's called a losing formula. Well, amen to that. Can't argue with that. Um, so we got that. Now we got to find the Vikings. They're sitting at 24, I'm sorry, 25 down from 24. Harrison Smith, Harry, the Hitman, is still a lethal football assassin. The safety had three sacks Sunday, double his previous career best, including a strip sack that led a Minnesota recovery touchdown that finally flipped the game into the W column. Um, okay. Yeah. And I, yeah, that's, uh, never mind. I thought that was going to be the highlight there of the interception return. So yeah, the Vikings at 25, and I'm pretty sure we're going to have to go a little ways here to find the Bears. The Bears are sitting at 32. They're maintaining their hold on the bottom of this guy's power rankings. And he goes on to say, Bears extended their franchise worst 14-game losing streak with a 21-point collapse that matched the worst in the club's 104 seasons. Wow. Thursday at Washington is the first of Chicago's four scheduled primetime games. Guessing they're not going to keep all those fancy dates. So there you go. You begin, you, in just a couple nights, we'll be able to watch the Bears on national TV go against the Washington Commanders. That, that ought to be an interesting game. And then lastly, I just thought, you know, Badgers were off. They had the week off. Not much uh, real remarkable going on in college football. We'll take a quick look at the standings. No real actual changes in the top seven for the AP poll. So, again, it's Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Ohio State, and Florida State as your top five. Um, if we look down and we talk about sometimes if the Badgers might creep into the standings, they're still sitting at, you know, six votes in the others receiving votes category. Last time we looked at this, they weren't getting any votes in the coaches poll, but now they're getting three. And then, uh, just a couple other noteworthy items, uh, Colorado Buffalo's coach prime, again, taking the notion of coaching his kids to the extreme has uh, lost again, so they've lost back-to-back -back games. They got beat at home by top-ranked, uh, ninth-ranked, that is USC. Actually, USC dropped a notch after that win because it was a relatively close game at the end. Uh, but USC went into Colorado and took care of business, so Coach Prime now has lost a couple games. They're giving up a ton of points. And then uh, keeping a, keeping a, one eye on our friend Graham Mertz, uh, one of our first Tri-Award winners. And again, to remind you, that Tri-Award is... 
So Florida got beat pretty good by Kentucky. I think that might have even been at home. So now Kentucky's ranked 20th after being unranked. I mean, they're 5-0, and so good job, Kentucky. And then again, uh, Washington State, the one loss that the Badgers have, they're they're up a few spots again to 13. Uh, they're they're 4-0 on the year, and they might have been idle this week. Um, so yeah, uh, Mertz and his Gators are out of the top 25. So is Colorado for a couple weeks now. And then uh, we'll keep an eye on what's going to happen with the Badgers. They got their game coming up this weekend. And that's pretty much going to do it here on this, uh, I guess we'll call it Taco Tuesday, because we talked about Charlie's Tacos and the good taco truck. Um, and recap everything that took place here during week four. Nah, you know, again, we're a few days removed from Packers. Badgers were off, so uh, glad we could kind of get this one in. We're looking forward to watching the Brewers tonight. That game's coming up in about 10 minutes on ESPN2, at least on my time here as I'm doing wrapping up the upload. Uh, I'll come back again tomorrow for Hump Day Helmets, take a look at what's going on for week five, and we'll take a look at the Badgers coming up, and, and we'll talk about how the Brewers did in their game. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Remember, like, subscribe, share with friends, family, enemies, you name it, and have yourself a good night. Thank you.